welcome to Creative Piecemeal Podcast, a podcast for creatives. I'm your host, Tammy Takeishi. Join me for compelling conversations with artists, actors, authors, musicians, and other creatives about the impact of the creative and fine arts in their lives and our ever-changing world. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Creative Piecemeal Podcast. I am delighted to be joined by Erica Messer. Erica Messer is a harpist, professional harpist, and the founder of Wolfie's Wish, which is a, after the passing of her beloved cat Wolfgang, she had embarked on a quest to find a way to cope with her grief and Frustrated by the lack of suitable products, her mother and herself um, created pet loss grieving cards, and that has received a prestigious award at the Super Zoo trade show in 2022 of Best New Product. And additionally, they have gone on to pair with counselors, and they have a healing music playlist in which Erica plays harp with some beautiful original compositions by another one of their colleagues, Lisa. And there's also lots of other resources on there as well. And the whole idea behind Wolfie's Wish is to help people with the loss of their beloved, beloved pets. And I'm so excited to have Erica on the show to talk about how she uses music and how her team helps people the world over um, when their furry friends pass on. So Welcome to the show. Hi, Tammy. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So we're going to get started with a question that I don't think I've asked before, which is why did you decide to pivot in into this very beautiful journey? Like, like what, what made you decide to create the solution that you were looking for? Well, that's a really great question. And just based on the circumstances, so Wolfgang fell and died tragically in 2021. And I have been living in Germany and I didn't have a really big support community. I had a handful of friends, but I didn't really know who to ask or where to go for help. And so I started looking for, I guess I was like, okay, there's got to be a book. And you know, what I was really looking for was a deck of affirmation cards, which are basic tools for any kind of thing you're going through, self-improvement that you read once a day. At least I did. And I couldn't find any. I also was just overwhelmed with the amount of books out there. I think it's wonderful that there are so many, but I needed a toolkit. I needed a roadmap. I needed to work through my trauma and my grief. And so ultimately I was just left to pretty much meditate and ask myself, what do I need to do to heal and just be really still, which is something I've defaulted to before and anyone can do. And so gradually I would come up with solutions and try them out and feel really good about it and share these with my mom. And she said, well, I think you should make that affirmation card deck that you couldn't find. And to be honest, my first response was no, mom, I'm grieving. And that sounds like a lot of work. 
and I don't know how to do it. You know, please let's talk about something else. But she was very gentle and insistent. So once I had um, reached out to a pet loss counselor that I had found and learned that the emotional pain was normal and the intense grief that I was feeling was normal and even some of the trauma, I really couldn't believe that and thought, but nobody talks about this. How can how can I be normal? I was really sure you were going to tell me that I needed to go to get some kind of other help. How can it be that many people suffer like this and we don't talk about it? That's when I called my mom back and said, hey, okay, let, I don't know how, but let's make this, let's make these cards. Let's start there. And so that was the process that led to creating the Wolfie's Wish grieving cards. And then it just snowballed. And it's, I just wrote to my dad this morning and said, I don't want to do anything else the rest of my life. Like, this is my thing. This is my jam. And music is a part of it. But I no longer focus solely on like the next gig. (laughs) Right. That's wonderful. You know, that you're doing this to support people through pet loss because it really is profound. I mean, pets are essentially family to so many people. And um, we were talking before we hit record and you talked about how some people have like a soul animal, yeah. Um, can you explain to our listeners a little more about how that's different? Yeah. Well, I think for the listeners that have experienced a relationship with an animal, they'll re- and and at very deep level, a little light will go off when they hear the term soul animal, even if they haven't heard it before. They're gonna be like, "Oh, that might that might be what I have." You know, we're not. I'm not really sure what the technical terms are for an animal relationship like that, but. And then for the people that have had pets that, of course, they love, but there just wasn't any kind of deep connection, the grief isn't as severe as losing a soul animal. So it's, I like to distinguish those two things. And then, of course, we have the people that have never had a pet that think we are all crazy, grieving in any way over an animal. I'm convinced that we can have as deep as a relationship as a human friend or loved one that we can we can have that with an animal and for some people that maybe don't get along socially with others animals are their companions right and then there are people that maybe don't have children and live alone and their animals are more than just something you feed twice a day and that's okay there's a huge broad range of how you can have a relationship with an animal and no one needs to justify it or explain it just is what it is and it's time to normalize the fact that we have the we're lucky to have these relationships and also normalize the grief that we feel afterwards. I definitely concur like normalizing grief whether it's from the loss of a a pet or the loss of a a loved one is is something that I think we're sort of coming around a little more socially, you know, people are I feel like people are understanding that the grief stages are are not linear and that, you know, even just talking about mental health in general has become more of a green right. flag thing, right. especially with the younger generations, which is, it's such a healthy thing to see that people are normalizing saying like, Hey, I see a therapist or, Hey, I struggle with X, Y, Z, you know, or Hey, I'm reading this self-help book. And it's, it's not a shameful thing anymore. Um, and so hopefully that will open up conversations for people to be able to grieve 
and feel more comfortable about the fact that, hey, you you had feelings of love for a pet and there is nothing wrong with that, you know? Yeah, I think grieving openly and right, having these conversations is becoming more acceptable. I will say that my parents are terrified every time I tell them that I talked about mental illness or my mental illness, you know, publicly, but it's time. It's time to have those conversations because, you know, I've been treated for ADHD since I, since 1994, when I flunked out of classes in high school, like, and then I went to college early once I got treatment, then I found out I was bipolar. And then I found out I had addiction issues. And so I say those openly because it's okay to say, I'm not ashamed of it anymore. I was, but that's also what was so pivotal in me learning about pet loss grief, because with those three things that I struggle with, I really had a lot to lose with my grief journey. And I was very committed to carefully looking at and peeling back the layers. How do I get through this sober? How do I get through this without triggering an episode, right? How do I get through this without really losing it and losing all that I've worked so hard for? So they really go hand in hand. And I think, I think I I feel very lucky (laughs) so weird to say this two years later, but I feel really lucky that that I lost Wolfgang tragically and pushed me enough to look at solutions and look at the lessons to learn from it. And helping other people is the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And now I bring my music into that and I have online memorial services where people can type their pet's name in the comments while I play harp music. And it's just like my creativity is finally just really blossoming and finding ways to connect with people. It's the best thing I've ever done, honestly. If you've been feeling burned out, stressed, overwhelmed, or exhausted, the resources and courses at the Self-Care Institute are here to support you. The Self-Care Institute was founded by Dr. Ami Kunimura and provides support for individuals and organizations with burnout prevention, burnout recovery, and stress management. I've personally taken a few of these courses and found them to be super helpful, both professionally and personally. The care you give yourself matters just as much as the care you give to others. But if self-care is difficult for you, you're not alone. And the Self-Care Institute is here to support your well-being, resilience, and sense of fulfillment at work and at home. For more information, visit selfcareinstitute.com or go to the show notes and click on the link. Yeah, and it's it's so great. I love um, being a fellow musician. I love that you're using music in that special space for people. Would you mind telling people a little bit more about how that works with with your company and and what you what you do for that? For many years, I've worked in hospitals and memory care facilities, connecting with people through music. And I had started my journey to being a clinical musician to do bedside work. During the pandemic, I stopped that and just focused on art and things that felt really good. And, you know, we're all just trying to get through the day. But now I've come back full circle because I see, oh, there's got to be a way for me to fit this into healing through grief because it was such a big part of my journey. I knew that music would calm me. And so, you know, let's just call it meditation music for 
a generic term, binaural beats, all kinds of things I would go and seek out and what felt good. And I thought, wow, there's something to that. How can I really dial this in to help other people through grief? And then that led down a rabbit hole of, wait a minute, there's this whole industry called, you know, for animal hospice and palliative care. Well, how can music help those animals and their owners? Like, this is really fun. Like the more I started digging, the more I started finding. And so, you know, right now, what I have is a, a music playlist on YouTube, Healing Harp Music, which also has playlists or songs from other harpists like Lisa Lynn. And then with the online memorial tribute and I've also played live for memorial tributes. It's just giving space and holding space for people to grieve for that amount of time and really let go into the music, give themselves permission to to go into their grief for that time. I've found it to be really helpful for myself and also people are able to let go a little bit more and kind of relax a little bit more. And just just that small amount is better than what it was before, right? That little inch, that inch closer to healing or seeing that their grief isn't going to kill them. Their grief isn't going to stop them from living a full life again. It's like, just gives a little bit of hope. So I really hope to really push that envelope farther to see what else can we do with music and not just myself, but I want to seek out the people that are also passionate about this and finding solutions. I don't want to use the word treating, but um, helping people process grief in a clinical way. And you know, I, I mentioned before you were, were recorded that it's really a holistic approach. There's many modalities and things that will work for people and not everyone's the same, but this is a part of the puzzle. Music is definitely a part of the puzzle. That's excellent. And of course, your company has a variety of resources for people who want to whether help themselves or help someone they love with pet loss. So the link will be in the show notes for people to connect and find those, find the website, find the resources and reach out. But I'd love to dig into a little bit more of who is Erica. What is a book that you've read recently that you just couldn't put down? Oh, wow. Couldn't put down. Well, that's interesting. So I always have a new self-help book on my shelf, but I'm also, I started a book club in 2020. And so everyone gets to participate in what the titles are. And um, Lessons in Chemistry was the last one that I read that I couldn't put down. Phenomenal book, very well-written, fast-paced. You know, I think a lot of women just kind of go, yeah. And you're like rooting for Elizabeth, who's the main character. And I don't want to give away the plot, but it's available everywhere now. I have to just say on like the self-help side, Super Attractor by Gabrielle Bernstein was calling to me. And I don't know that I couldn't put it down, but I kept digging. I was like, wow, this is really interesting. and kind of eye-opening to try on different, different ideas about how we go through the day. And the best part of that book, and that's also a common thread in the next book I'm reading, um, which is The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, is that when we feel good and we do things that feel good, then the magic in your life can really open up to happen. And, you know, I feel like I'm getting off topic a little bit, but as Americans, I think 
I'm coming out of a, a wave of people that thought, well, if I work really, really hard to the point where I'm almost on burnout, then I'm successful or I'm somehow better than the next person or I'm somehow succeeding. But really, it's not true in that if we can just take care of ourselves and live the best lives we can, that's really success. So I'm working on that. So yeah, those are the two. Well, I mentioned three books, but yeah, those are the best the best so far or the most recent. They sound really good. I, I love getting book recommendations from guests because they're so varied. And it's also a peek into a little bit about who they are. Yeah, well, I'm glad I could remember all the titles. That's usually, you know, you get stumped when you ask people are asking <laughs> what you're reading and you're like, oh, well, I can describe the cover and the thickness. That's right. It was about this big. <laughs> yeah. Um, so luckily I luckily I the the book gods were with me right then. Obviously, <laughs> you played harp since you were a young child, but have you ever wanted to dabble in any other instruments just for fun? I played harp. Yeah, I started out on piano and I hated it. I just don't like the timbre of the piano. I don't I don't enjoy the feel of the keys. And I uh, Hats off to all the pianists out there. I'm not dissing your instrument at all. But when I found the harp, I was like, this, this is cool. This always sounds good <laughs> if it's in tune. And and I just really enjoy being that close to it. The harp's on your body. And so you really feel the vibrations and you hear the the start of the tone and the end of the tone. And there's something very personal about it. And it's almost like a relationship with the harp. And so... I just kind of went with that. And then in college, I experimented and, and you know, all my friends that were music majors, I was like, well, what can I try? Can I try that? And what's it like to play the drums and the flute and the violin? And so they had the same curiosity about my harp. You know, we had round robin with instruments before orchestra. <laughs> but I just never felt like, oh, that's really cool. There was one instrument that I picked up while I was studying abroad called it's a zither and it's so it's like a harp guitar hybrid and I was like on my way to school and I saw a sign for a zither conference and I was like zither what the heck is a zither and I walked in and here's all these con concerts going on and I just said what what is going on and I I fell in love with it and I got a teacher and I studied it for that semester outside of school. So that was my only real dabble into something else. I mean, I took guitar in high school. Those don't really count. And I think, I think what I realized as an adult was like, oh, the harp's really rare. I don't really know any, I mean, I know other harpists, but it's not common. So I really feel like I need to do justice and stick with this and promote it as much as I can and make it accessible to people. That was a decision I made somewhere after college to just focus on that and let everyone else find their own preference of instrument and love for instruments. But yeah, I can play other things. I just don't. I just choose not to because of that. I really need to honor the harp and the, I feel so fortunate that I was exposed to it and provide, and that my family provided me lessons because we didn't always have a lot of resources. You know, my dad filed personal bankruptcy at one point. So but I got to continue my harp lessons. I don't really know how. <laughs> I don't know if my grandmother parent grandparents paid for it or what, but I just feel really lucky and grateful. Yeah. And it's it's such a beautiful instrument, but I must say the upkeep must be there must be a lot of maintenance to that, right? 
Yeah, thank thank you for that insight. It is. It's an expensive instrument to start out with, and then maintaining it, we do what's called a regulation. So the harp, um, you use your feet to make half steps for the instrument. There are 47 strings, there are seven pedals, and there's a lot of technical stuff going on in there. I don't want to get into and bore anybody, but those half steps, if you're in an orchestra, you've got to have those exact precise measurements, right? So regulations cost anywhere from three to $500 a year. A set of strings is $500. And then you just hope that you don't damage your instrument or drop it because then you won't see your harp for a year and it's thousands of dollars in repair at one place in the country. So <laughs> that's why we're so protective and also why I scoff at people who want me to come and play for free at their charity event. You know, I'm like, oh, is your is your food and alcohol donated? Well, no. Well, then, you know, then no. Like, think about what you're saying. You have no idea, like, what musicians go through for our training and our, our ex- experience. So that doesn't happen so much anymore. But for anyone listening that's not a musician, please honor and respect us just like you would your electrician. Because we have invested our entire lives <laughs> you know, and countless hours. What was it like 10,000 hours to become really good at something is a general rule of thumb. I I forget where I read that. It might've been in Malcolm Gladwell's book, one of his books, I forget. But that's a really big investment of time and energy. And so I think whatever anyone's profession is, knowing that they've put that much work into it, like, let's give them a little respect, you know, and not ask for discounts. And I'm fine with bartering. I love bartering. So bring that on. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And thank you for bringing that up about, you know, musicians knowing their worth, because especially when it comes to taking gigs and so many musicians being freelancers, because they don't have as much of a choice, they're like, okay, sure. Yeah, I can play for my half my fee. But in real, in reality, you're just, it sort of hurts them in the end, because people don't, but and it's hard to have those conversations as a musician to have those financial conversations and say no you I need to be paid my regular professional fee because of xyz I don't think it's a hard conversation though and I think if everyone stood up for themselves then we wouldn't have to deal with this anymore you know we can't pay rent we can't pay our rent with vouchers of exposure like that's just bs I've never, I've actually never been hired because of exposure. And I've played in some pretty prominent places. So that's a myth that someone can come and play for exposure. I've played for politicians and TEDx. I've never had anyone come and say, I saw you at this thing. I want to hire you. It's all by, I mean, it is by word of mouth and, and my own reputation, but anyway, so there's that. And then I think also, if, um, you know, a lot of us have to have liability insurance and instrument insurance. And so I think if we just say to people, you know, that are trying to to haggle or whatever, to be honest, like, these are my expenses, you know, and I can't, I can't pay my rent with exposure. And just being really matter of fact, um, and honest, is kind of where I've gotten to and just had to stand up for myself. And actually, it wasn't that long ago where I just doubled my prices because I saw the value in what I offered as a, a singer, harpist, pop music arranger, and DJ. You know, I really carved out my niche and I was like, you know, if you want a student 
and that's that's what you you, you want a hundred dollars like there's a high school student right now that's pretty good and needs the needs to learn the ropes of how to be a professional and show up on time and have your music instrument tuned and work through distractions right and delays and all these things so I could put you in touch with the student but my fee is this it was uncomfortable I don't say it was hard it was uncomfortable at first but once I stood up for myself and realized I have nothing to lose I really don't I just have I have to support myself that was that made a really big difference I can imagine yeah one of my friends is a wedding planner and she is always gently lecturing people about knowing your worth in whatever field you are and and especially in her field, breaking down like why it costs the way what it is, you know, because of her expertise and years of expertise and connections and networking. And it's a very similar, similar road with musicians, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like, do you want things to run smoothly or do you want people to just figure it out as they go when in refre- in reference to a wedding, right? To execute everything flawlessly where you can just enjoy your day. You're paying a premium for the people that have experience to troubleshoot and work through issues and foresee foresee delays. And it's, yeah, with any industry, I mean, experience costs more. We're going to jump back to your creative journey. And what is something you wish you'd known when you first started? And what whether that was being a musician or first known when you first started Wolfie's Wish or both? Oh yeah, there's two. That's easy. <laughs> I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So I think once I realized that I didn't enjoy the pressure of being an orchestra musician and the demands that that takes, I decided to freelance and kind of be my own boss. But I didn't really know how to, you know, make contracts and what to ask for and how to prepare and have a gig checklist and ask for deposits. So I really wish there was a handbook for musicians and I'm sure there is now, but so much of what I did, I just learned from experience. And so I think having a a handbook, like if you're going to be a wedding musician, have 10 pieces memorized that you can fall back to should your music blow away or your battery die on your iPad, little things like that, you know, have a sound system as backup for when people are drinking a lot and get really loud you know, you're not going to hear the harp after everyone's had two drinks, things like that. And then with Wolfie's Wish, I jumped into it with a bag full of hopes and dreams. And now I'm learning how valuable it is for any business, whether it's going to be a small home business or a large corporation, <laughs> that goes without saying, to have a business plan, a marketing plan, a sales plan. What are you going to do when you run low on funds? How are you going to fund your business? What are your goals and how do you get there? And also who are your biggest customers and clients going to be and doing that kind of market research first. I did everything backwards, absolutely everything backwards. But when I hit a roadblock, I would go to YouTube where I would get on some forums and say, how do I solve this problem? Who's a good mentor? I've gone through one, two, three. I think I'm now on like my fifth and sixth mentors that really give me the guidance and answer the questions that I need. And I think mentorship is so integral with anything you're doing. Someone that will tell you the truth, even if it hurts. Someone that will uh, listen to your ideas and help you stay focused. So I think, 
having a real solid plan before you jump into something is probably good for most people. I'm really lucky that I was able to kind of skate through that and you know, I'm still navigating it. I actually just decided today to sell another harp so that I can run, have a marketing budget. And I'm lucky enough to have acquired enough harps over the years that I can sort of like peel one off here and there, you know, and that was part of my business was I would acquire harps that were, you know, used and people were just not, not playing or inherited it or upgraded. And then I would rent them out. So you know, that was something I had to figure out too along the way. It was like, how do I sustain myself during the slow months? January and February, there are no weddings and no corporate events. There are lessons, but as a freelancer, you're constantly shuffling and looking at how do I sustain this? How do I keep going during these slow periods? So anyway, those are things I wish I had known, but again, they weren't pass fail um, type scenarios. And, you know, I, that's just life. Like we always learn and can look back and go, oh, well, that would have been nice to know. <laughs> right, right. Before we end, and I'd absolutely love to have you back on the show to talk more about the creative stuff, but we're going to end on a fun question. And I'm I'm looking at them now because I have a list of fun questions and it's mostly like food related. Awesome. <laughs> I love food. And I was like, hmm, I wonder, I wonder what my, what my brand is here. <laughs> Um, okay. So what is one of your favorite comfort meals? Oh, Southern food, like macaroni and cheese and meatloaf and collard greens, biscuits, just all of that stuff. Or, or if you want to just even be more generic, generic, like Thanksgiving meal, just Thanksgiving meal. In fact, fun, fun fact. So Wolfgang died in October and I flew home to be with my family and friends because I needed that kind of comfort. And I said, can we, can we have Thanksgiving now? <laughs> and I said, sure, that sounds awesome. And so my parents and my family threw Thanksgiving in October so that I could have that comfort. And I will never forget that. And so I want to give people permission, especially if you're going through grief or just a hard time. What unconventional things can you do and what rules can you break to, to give yourself comfort and provide that? And, and food is one way to do it. Yeah, I love that everyone was so supportive and just went along with whatever you needed at that moment. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I have a great, I have a great family. And I mean, think about it. That's just really fun. If we could throw Thanksgiving, you know, in August, kind of have like a Friendsgiving casual thing. And then like the formal one later and who who wouldn't want to do that? That sounds so great. Yeah. And the food at Thanksgiving is always amazing. Do you have like a favorite dish? I do. And most, and if someone hasn't had it, they kind of wrinkle their nose, like what? So it's just sweet potato casserole with the toasted marshmallows on top. Oh yeah. Uh, basically just cook, you know, cook sweet potatoes or yams till they're mush, add a bunch of butter and then bake them with marshmallows on top. You can't go wrong. <laughs> it's good cold. It is. It is amazing. It is. It is so good. And then if you put it, my sister's We'll put them like on a roll. Whoa. And make like this sweet sandwich. potato sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not that bold, but um, that's a little bit that's a little starchy for me in one bite. <laughs> I like to balance out it. I like to ba- balance out things in my mouth, you know. And I'm fine with mixing things on the plate, but I don't think I could go there. <laughs> yeah, awesome though. I'm one of those, like, my food cannot mix on the plate. Like, I, I have separated plates. 
<laughs> you have like the cafeteria plates where there's the little compartments, like the TV. Do you keep the TV dinner trays to reuse so you don't have to? <laughs> no, I, I have like, I have actual like from Corel, they make slotted plates. I'm like, yes. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not as bad as when I was a, a child. No, but you know, it's nice. Like then you're like gravy's not running into some vegetable and causing a war. It's, it works. You know, I think I need to get that for breakfast because the breakfast thing I'm really picky about. I actually don't like any maple syrup in my scrambled eggs. And so if you think about like the traditional American breakfast platter, which I love, and that would be my second, my first runner up for, for choice of comfort food, having a plate like that would be fantastic because then I just never have that problem. Like baking and maple syrup, great. But eggs, you know what I'm talking about? When you get that bite and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to do this fast. That was gross. <laughs> Yes, definitely. You'll have to go on a search. They're really, they're amazing. Well, I know that there's kids ones available everywhere. And I like that they're smaller portions too, like a smaller plate. I might not serve it to friends, you know, with the dinosaurs or whatever that comes on it, but that's actually a really good and easy. I don't have to look very far. I think I can get that at the drugstore actually. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, excellent, Erica. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about the importance of what you do with your company, Wolfie's Wish. And listeners, please check the show notes again for links and how to connect and um, know that you are not alone when it comes to grieving your pet. And she's got a lot of wonderful resources. I just wanted to say one more thing that we have um, two support groups. We have a virtual one and we have a Facebook one. And I want to invite anybody to join those to bring questions or find some support and community. And then if anyone's listening and they know someone that's needing help, send them our way. We've got a whole bunch of things and resources and try to try to offer something for everyone. Wonderful. Thank you so much for mentioning that, Erica. Well, excellent listeners. As always, thank you and uh, keep listening. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Like the show? Have a question? Stop by the Facebook and Instagram pages. Links are in the show notes or search for a creative piecemeal podcast on social media and click follow for all the latest.